0: There's here just in the
1: nick of time. What does that make
0: us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just. Yeah, you have funny Uber rides as your YouTube
2: channel. Millions of views on all your videos. Mine didn't have a million views. Why does my video not have a million views?
0: That's just one metric. There's so many metrics. That's not a, yeah.
2: Is there any way to like repost it so I have millions of views? Um, I think you did yeah. something right.
0: Is this why you, you brought can. him on, Liz?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Where are my millions of views, Darren? I'm so sorry, Darren. I had no idea this is called pretenses. I
3: he
2: tries that. to log out, and he can't. He's like, what the hell?
4: This is somewhere Zoom.
0: hello and welcome to
4: shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 4.4 fm the film and tv radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television i'm marcus e Ako and uh ooh, I, I have mixed feelings about the end of
0: Line of Duty, the, the finale episode of Line of Duty. Hi, I'm producer Dave. Um, I have no mixed feelings about the end of Line of Duty because I haven't been watching it, so. So, so here's the thing, um, Line of Duty, for those people who don't know, it's a BBC drama, well,
4: set in, in contemporary London, and it is focusing on a group called A East Corruption Division 12, if you will. So they investigate corruption within the police force it's it, it um it, it's, it's been going on for years and it's been high-class drama from the BBC they've had um, major actors maybe major British actors come through like Lenny James uh, uh Dandy Newton uh, Stephen Graham a whole bunch of it's like each season has sort of like the main target of their investigation and it is a is a well-known actor right so and and the drama is just sizzling it's fantastic loads of i started watching it back in like i think it's 2012 when it first came out i think that's how far back it's gone um I, st- I started watching the first season and i watched up until the very last episode i didn't watch the last episode i got distracted you couldn't get a ch- chance to catch up and so on so forth and then it continued without me recently because i've been i've been watching goggle box this other show called goggle box which is a show about watching other people watch TV. And I I used to insult it before until I started watching it. And it's pretty funny. They had this season, loads of uh, bits of the latest season of Line of Duty. Now I didn't want to just jump in at that point, right? So I, I full on binged all the way from season one, caught up right to the very last episode, just as it was like, this is the last episode of the sixth season. We'll get to see who this mysterious character is, and so on and so forth. I'm like amazing. The build up is so fantastic, and then I watched it, but I walked away from that last episode just thinking, I'm not, I'm not entirely satisfied. And I'm not. I mean, it, it's a good average episode, but I'm not entirely satisfied. In fact, there was a big reveal, so it's the final episode of a season, right? with a big reveal about a character that you've been hearing about from maybe the first, maybe the second season. And it felt like an episode in the middle of the season. Do you see what I mean? So that's how I felt leaving the episode. But I left thinking, no, this is, this is not how you end the season. With you know, who knows, BBC may decide to cancel it. Maybe see, maybe you know, um, uh, studios have done stranger things, right? They've done weirder things in the past where a TV show could be fantastic, and they just decide we're not going to do any more seasons. That's it. That's the end. I, and the 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 creator, I can't remember his name, but he's been he's been on, I think it's Jed Mercutio, I may be mistaken, but he's been on Twitter recently defending the the script and so on and funnily enough actually he more power to the guy people are responding with vitriol to him on twitter and he's responding to them and not even like a ah you don't know what you're talking about go sit in your hobby hole or your mother's basement he's not responding like that he's actually responding in a very classy manner he's like I take your points on board. I, I know. I thank you very much for your criticism. You know, we had different directions we wanted to go in, and we went in this direction, and we still think it's a great direction, and so. on. And I'm like, I don't know. I would. I'd be. I would be David Blunt. So it's like, I. I you know what? I, I, more parts of the guy, the guy's defending himself and his show on Twitter. I. I want there to be a season seven. There needs to be a season. Season seven. So that I can get some closure because I, I you know, they've left it open to the fact that they can have a season seven, which is fantastic. Uh, and I think line of duty is one of the best shows that BBC has produced in years. Um, and I've been seeing a, a number of articles online, which is they've now lumped line of duty in with all those TV shows that have um, bad last episodes right like Game of Thrones and Lost and Dexter and so on and I think that's not fair I don't think that's fair because those are the shows those were the finales they were not coming back Line of Duty can still come back and I I really hope Line of Duty will come back even if it's just for one more season just to prove those haters wrong because I have I am I'm AC 12 100% you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM I'm Marcus E. Acho. I'm producer Dave. And we're going to jump into one of our next interviews in just a minute where we're going to be talking with, well, we'll do our, in the spotlight section, we're going to be talking to our guest this week, which is uh, Maria Shahata, who's a comedian uh, on the podcast. She's a stand-up comedian in her own right, but she also has a podcast called Two Non-Doctors with Liz Mealy. We'll talk to her during the spotlight section. But before that, let's go to... Film and TV news. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E.
0: Acho, And I'm producer Dave.
4: Now, I was scanning through um, news, you know, film news that we can talk about on, on this week's show. And something caught my eye. And I'll read you the headline. It's on Variety. If you want to go to variety.com, uh, to uh, 2020, variety.com forward slash 2021 forward slash TV slash global slash NUMI, N O O M I. That should bring up the story. And the story is NUMI Rapass Nicholas Pinnock. Uh, join Matthias. Sch- uh, I'm, I'm, I'll skip his name because I might. I'll, I don't want to butcher his name. I'd rather skip his name. They joined the new production of Django from Sky and Canal Plus. Now, here's what it is: Naomi Repas from A Girl with a Dragon Tattoo and Nicholas Pinnick from a whole bunch of shows. Um, uh, counterpart. Uh, I, I think it's, it is one that he's got on. Stars at the moment, which is for life. I can't remember. I think that's what it is. But he's a great actor, fantastic actor. Um, they are joining the star cast of the film Django, an English language reimagining of Sergio Corbucci's classic 1966 western. That's set in the Wild West in the 1860s. Uh, is it, isn't this? I'm just. I'm just thinking. Isn't this a show? Or isn't this a film that has already been done by Quentin Tarantino right He did Django right I mean fair enough maybe slightly different let's let's jump to let's jump to the to the synopsis for this one um, okay so jumping to the to the synopsis it says here uh, and Nicholas Pinnock plays the titular role of oh hold on he take he takes a key role of John Ellis. Oh, okay. So someone else still plays the t- titular role of um, Django. Okay, so I guess in this instance they're not remaking it. So Django is black, and it's not the slave slave angle. So that's fine. So uh, uh, Matthias, the the other the other character, Matthias, is playing the titular role of Django. Uh, German the German on the star rise. Oh, sorry, German on the star rise. Lisa Vicari, uh, Martha Nielsen in dark embodies sarah django's long lost daughter the project also features young um, european actors such as judah james from click criminal uk eric cole from 50 pence hold uh and a number of other uh, actors who will play john ellis's three sons which is um pinnick's character so it's
0: it's a remake of the western django so that's what? Okay, that's, that's what the I bit thought that... as well, because when, when yeah. I saw Quentin Tarantino's one, I saw who he had as the lead star, I was confused because I was used to the the, 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 the Western one that was done in the late 50s, early 60s, uh, which were... 66, yeah. 66, yeah, 66. And they were starring uh, a blonde guy, but he didn't speak English. English was... It was more Spanish than Yes, else. Yes. And I, I saw the other, one. Quentin Tarantino's Django and I was confused, but I, I saw it as a completely separate film. So when he was saying that they were going to redo it, I immediately jumped back to that first one I saw because um, I didn't think that they would redo Quentin Tarantino's one, so. Yeah, so, 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 so that, that's, that's what it is. So I think I got
4: triggered from the fact that I saw Django, Django and immediately yeah. I thought, I, I, I knew, I, I, I just same as you, I knew there was a Western version. I haven't seen the Western version. And I always thought that the Western version that was done uh, by Tarantino was kind of, oh, sorry, the version that was done by Tarantino was kind of a retelling of the Western version that was done, obviously changing characters, changing the motivations and so on and so forth. Um, So who knows? So, you know, at the end of the day, I like the actors that are popping up on this. I, I think I've seen uh, Nicholas Pinnock in a number of different things and I think he's fantastic. I mean, he's uh, Nick, Nicholas Pinnock, just again, just going through some of the stuff that he's that he's on. It says here, credits include movies such as The Last Tree that I haven't actually seen and Dark Encounter, as well as popular dr- TV dramas um, counterpart, Fortitude, Marcella and For Life. For Life is the one uh, that I was thinking of where he's a... He's been he's been sentenced to jail um, uh, he's been wrongly convicted of a crime he did, of a crime he didn't commit he' convicted of a crime he didn't commit and he spends his time in jail getting other people out of jail by being their legal representation uh, so that's and he's an amazing actor I, uh, he's just he's he's oh he's really good very very underrated but he's fan he's a fantastic actor so that was one of the main reasons why it pulled me to that thing okay. I saw him. I saw Numi Rapaz, who I think is fantastic as well. And I saw Django, and I got triggered, and that's why I read the article. So that's that's, the moral of the story today is read articles rather than just the headlines and (laughs) understand more.
0: Right, well, speaking of reboots, I mean, you're talking about reboots. They are rebooting a a, a film, a fan favourite, actually, Blade. You know, the old Blade that was starring... um, Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes. So okay. when you say
4: they're rebooting it, do you mean they're rebooting it? Marvel is doing it. It's Marvel, right? This is well, mar-
0: Marvel territory. The, the rights seem to have gone back to Marvel. So they're now doing their own version and it's going to be brought into the MCU. So I don't know how that's going to work. So we'll wait and see. And it's going to be starring Mahershala Ali. Mahershala Ali, yes. Mahershala Ali. Uh, and talk, you talk about you between names. Yeah, I understood yeah. that uh, uh, Wesley Slipes was in uh, is was in negotiations about possibly being in there as well as he was the the original lead. The first one that he did, I think the first and the second ones were were really good. Not too sure about the last one.
4: Yeah, no, no, you're you're right. And you're right in that description as well. The first one was great. Um, The second one is always going to be my favorite. I know the first one was very good. The second one is always going to be my favorite because Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro directs you have Ron Perlman in it. You get Wesley Snipes given the, the immortal line. You don't know who you're effing with just yeah. as he destroys a whole bunch. Of, it's like, you are just justice. Awesome. And then it moves to the third one, which by all intents and purposes should actually be my favorite, right? Because it's stocked with people I like. Ryan Reynolds, for crying out loud, pops up in that. He pops up. He's, he carries that film. He um, is
0: a major role in that
4: film, yeah. Exactly. So it's like, you know, but apparently, and there are tons of stories. Patton Oswald, is he's reputed for going for going on different podcasts and telling what actually happened on the set of that film. And it was horrendous. So uh, this is not, not me spilling any beans. It's been out there. Wesley Snipes was basically too big for his boots. I think even he has come out and said it, that he was at a point where it's like it had, the success had gone to his head. And it was, he was battling with the director. He wouldn't talk to the director. He would only communicate with the director through post-it notes. A lot of the scenes had to be shot with a stunt double. There were some scenes, there was one scene in particular where he had his eyes closed the entire time. And the only, in post-production, they had to CGI open eyes on him in that scene. So it's a case where Wesley Snipes did not want to really show up in that. So the third one, really was a, it was, yeah, he has his reasons. Who knows? um Somebody else has mentioned it. It's to do with weed, but no one's, <laughs> no one's saying anything. So uh, who would you say? But anyway, so yes, with the reboot coming up because Marvel are bringing um, they, they're bringing blade back into the MCU. Mm-hmm. Mahershala Ali has been slated to play blade. And I think Mahershala Ali, he could act the phone book. So, um you know, and he would, he'd win an Oscar for it. He just, he just read the phone book and he'd win the Oscar
0: for it. There's, well, the good thing about him is that um, when you look at him and Wesley Snipes together, there is a, a resemblance there as well. So, you know, it's not too far. The, there's not too far apart, to be honest. Absolutely, he was, from, in my opinion, he was the best
4: thing in the first season of Luke Cage. Don't get me wrong. I think my, Michael Mike Coulter was great as Luke Cage. I think other actors were good in it as well but I think the I think Luke Cage season one was excellent for the first few episodes when he was in it Herschel Ali was in it I think he led, he again like I said he's a great he's a fantastic actor um and again I, I don't even want to say he's underrated because he's not underrated he's already won two Oscars right in in the last Ten years, he's won two Oscars. So saying he's underrated is just nonsense. Mm. He's a fantastic actor. Um, another actor as well, just in this, in the same sort of bracket. And I I consider I consider him being the movie version of himself, and then the uh, TV version of him is Sterling K. Brown, who's also an actor, who's also a movie actor as well. He played um uh, uh what, you know uh, what's his name's um Eric Killmonger's dad in Black Panther. As, as as Sterling K Brown mm. brilliant terrific actor uh, also not an underrated actor because he basically racks up emmys nonstop uh, on his on his projects but i think he's great he's a fantastic actor anyway but yes i'm looking forward to seeing blade with mahershala ali i can't wait for it to come out uh, hey like i said marvel pretty much already own half of my paycheck which is great yeah. i'm happy for that to happen anything they want to spit out i um, i saw the trailer that came out recently for their Welcome back to the cinemas, and I was like, "Thank you, thank you for telling me it's okay to go back to the cinemas." Uh, I would happily—I'd risk COVID to go and watch a Marvel movie. I'll just put this out there: I would, I would, i would I'd, I'd, I, I it would probably be terrible, but I would, and I'd be feeling sick and probably. Bite the big one from it, but it'll all be in the in 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 the service of giving Marvel my money because hey, I'm a life I'm gonna be I'm a lifelong fan of Marvel. I'm right now. You can see I'm wearing a Marvel T-shirt. So hey, okay. Please. Well, they can't
0: see it, but I can. But um, yes. Just to remind people that there are other film companies out there apart from Marvel. Uh, yes, <laughs> other other film companies uh, exist.
4: Other, there is a you know there there are other film companies. DC is kind of there, <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's a shot at Rob Ailing, <laughs> Rob Ailing filmmaker who came on with his with ter- his terrific short film. Uh, uh, Living in Crime Alley which you can catch for free on YouTube go and check it out, it recently won uh, an award in some festival uh, I can't remember the name of the festival but it's and it does, it's well deserved, it's a great film you're going to see more if if, if and I'm sure there are tons of other filmmakers out there that could do wonders with the DC universe but Warner Brothers who own it apparently don't want to do that so as such, who knows
0: but well, Marvel on the other hand they know what they're doing so let's yeah, go with that they're shooting themselves in the foot if they are because um more people attracted more watching these um, fan fiction films, uh, just attracts them to the original stories as well. So, you know.
4: Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. But we'll see, we'll see how that goes. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance
0: 104.4 FM. I'm
4: Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And we're gonna move on to our spotlight segment this, uh, with uh, comedian uh, Maria Shahata. Here is Spotlight. <laughs> You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 4.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Acho, And I'm producer Dave. And we're here with uh, with a comedian, one half of the uh, Two Non-Doctors podcast. You've already heard us talk to uh, her co-host, uh, Liz Mealy. Uh, this is now a comedian who is based in the UK, an American based in the UK. Please tell us your name and let us know what Two Non-Doctors is all about.
1: I'm Maria Shahada, hello. Um Tina Doctors is just a podcast that my uh, my friend Liz Mealy and I started. She and I've been friends for like 15 years and she's Brooklyn based. I'm based in London. Um and right before the lockdown happened, we were like we should start a podcast cuz everything was closing down and we didn't know what was going on. And we we always talk about our health issues with each other, you know, we're always just like, oh this is a problem I don't know and I googled it and they said this and um, I think Liz fancies herself a bit of a doctor, <laughs> but,
4: uh, cause her, mo- her mother's of her mother's a vet. Right. So there's that, uh, you her know. mom's a
1: vet, a vet, but Liz is just one of those people who like just uh, a knows everything. B is always prepared. Uh, like if I, if I, if I break a nail, she's like, I have nail glue. Do you need some nail glue? <laughs> Like, Why do you have everything? She's like a Girl Scout. I don't know how she does it. But um, and she always has answers and she always wants to help. Like she has a very helping nature to her. So she's always like, all right, let's figure this out. Um, And I jokingly, I think like said something about like, we should do something called two non-doctors like a couple years ago. And then we decided to start the podcast
4: i love how the, one of the the way you tend to start it out when you do the intro for the show you say uh you you're basically being doctors like your mothers would have wanted you to be uh is, is that re- is that something that your your parents your your parents have always have wanted you to actually become a doctor rather than a comedian and if yeah. that is the case how what is their reaction whenever you go back to them and let them know that you're a comedian rather than a doctor
1: Yeah. Um, it's just cause they're Egyptian. And I think a lot of, um, uh, first generation immigrants, parents wanted, like I'm a first generation immigrant in the U.S. I believe, I think, I I don't know. I get kind of confused with the first and second generation, but I feel like it's a common trope that the parents of those children want them to be doctors or lawyers or engineers. So, yeah, I mean, they would have preferred that to comedian Shirley, but, um, Comedian's what they got and they, you know, over the years they grew to accept it, but it is, it was, it did feel sort of like, um, like I want to say like it felt sort of like coming out of the closet about it, about being a comedian, (laughs) but like I feel like maybe that's not some you know obviously it's not as extreme as, as as other people who might be coming out of the closet so I was just like I don't know if I can say that and be like hey, same. I, I will be
4: okay I will as, as as a heterosexual man sometimes I basically agree with you completely where it's it, it's it does seem f- from a parent you know from a, a, the offspring of an immigrant my dad's Nigerian so I've always, I've still had, I had exactly the same sort of situation, except I had a buffer because my brother just before me, he was the one who became the doctor. So he's referred to as the favorite of the family. So I could, <laughs> and I, 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 I was, I'm the last, I could do whatever I want to do. The brother just above him, he's a reprobate and people know him, they've listened to this show. So they know Ella Akko, that's, that's who he is. So he was the disappointment. The brother after him was the doctor. So I can do whatever I want to do. So So I know exactly where you're coming from. Uh, so the fact, as you went into do comedy, I want to sort of uh, pick apart some of the things that you've experienced with comedy. Now, uh, I know you've got, you've done some 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 shows where you are where you you're a massive hit, every every joke lands, and you may have had some other shows where it's the complete opposite. I'd like you, if you wouldn't mind, just to walk us through what is the worst part of having a successful show, and what is the best part of actually having a, a total bomb where, where you have a, a show that actually completely bombs. What is the best part? What can you take away from that? Do you think the wor- this is great?
1: The worst part of having a really good show is not b- buying it, like not believing it. You just don't take it in. You go, ah, they were drunk or, <laughs> or they laughed at everybody <laughs> or like they don't know what funny is or whatever. Just like kind of downplaying like actually doing well because It's really easy to believe that you're garbage, but it's really hard to believe that you're good sometimes. So like, if there's any kind of um, affirmation that you are good, you go, oh, but they, you know, they always laugh. Um, And then when you bomb, I guess um, the best part is that it's over and then you'll feel it for the next few days, (laughs) depending on how badly you bomb. Um, But, you know, it's, you can take away that. um, I mean, you survive, right? So it's just... I think that I think that I think the best way to deal with bombing is to have so many good shows under your belt that you go, well, these jokes have worked before. So something didn't add up at this show, you know, like maybe it was like the, you know, the energy in the room or the host didn't really prep them or everybody's too spread apart or everybody's too close together or just like somebody's being, there's always like variables. So um, you can always, if you're so inclined, believe that it's that and not you because your jokes have worked before.
4: And the point, I mean, you raised a very great, good point with regards to one of the reasons that could contribute towards you bombing as a comedian, even though you know that your jokes and your set is tight, could be the host introducing you badly. Can you, can you give us an example of a time where a host has basically ruined your set before you even got on stage to try and claw back some sort of laughter from the crowd?
1: I don't think a host can just introduce you badly enough that your set will go bad. Like I've had hosts like forget my name and then you could come back from it and it's fine, but I think I think if they don't if they don't warm the crowd up or I think the worst I've seen hosts do is blame the crowd for either not laughing. Like oh you guys come on. You you know, you, you get some energy up. You suck. <laughs> it's just like make them laugh. That's the part of the job that's hard. Um, or they blame the crowd for being there. Because if, like, you know, this happened in New York and LA a lot. If there were like three members in the audience, people would like hosts might like apologize for that. It might be the tendency to want to apologize for that or talk about how no one's here, but it's like, don't punish the people who did come. They're there. So like give them a show. Um, so I think blaming the audience for anything bad in the room is the worst thing you can do as a host.
0: You're
4: listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Acho. I'm producer Dave, and we are we are joined by comedian uh, Maria Shahata, uh, who's talking to us about her experiences doing comedy as well as her podcast 2 Non Doctors" with Liz Mealy. Now, I want to I want to uh, throw, but I've, I looked at some of the uh, posts that you had on Instagram, and there was one post you did recently, which was sort of like a, a, a lineup of events that you have coming up. And there are a lot of spaces there where you said secret gig, secret gig, secret gig. And then you name a uh, name of a gig that you do. And then secret gig, secret gig, secret gig. Is, is, oh, uh,
1: <laughs> no. No, Top Secret is the comedy club. It's the name of the comedy club. It's not a secret gig.
4: So that's the thing. So it, when I when I looked at that and I know I should probably have done a little bit more research into it, but I thought I thought top secret meant that you had this top secret um uh, you know e- event that you were working on and that you know you maybe soon the you'll come out. But it's not. It's Top Secret Comedy Club. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, but that's good to know because now I will say Top Secret Comedy Club if I ever promote them again. So I don't go that's, with Top Secret gig.
4: That's good because was like, everyone was like, I wanted to go see you at this show, but I didn't know where it was. It was a secret, so I didn't know exactly what it was. So with My real fact- fans
1: will find me.
4: <laughs> Thanks. <Yeah>. So considering <laughs> the fact that we're coming out of COVID, um, you've obviously got a whole bunch of gigs lined up. What has it been like being a comedian working in COVID?
1: Um, well, it's a lot of like, Oh, wow. Just doing, um, zoom shows. I think it's the biggest adjustment. It's just, uh, just getting used to just being on the internet, telling your jokes and it just feels a little weird. And it's a little like, it's kind of like, um, trying jokes out on, on friends in the room, you know, (laughs) And they're just like, are you trying a bit out on me? And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) sorry. Um, it's just, but you adjust and suddenly it just becomes normal and, and it's fine. The other thing is, is that it really made people stop because you can kind of get into, I know I was getting into um, this sort of, I don't know if it was a hamster wheel. I'm sure I was improving, but it did sort of feel like that. It was just performing, 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 performing. And then you stop. And then you have to go assess <laughs> what am I doing with my life? Where's my career going? What is all this performing leading up to? What do I want? You know? And and I think a lot of people kind of had to reckon with what they were doing with their careers and, and if they liked where they were, if they could do anything more or if, maybe they need to do less, maybe they need to focus on their family more or whatever, you know, um, I just think that that pause gave a lot of people like time to figure out what what it is they really want.
4: Okay, producer Dave, you got a couple of quick questions?
0: Yeah, i got, I just want to quickly ask, um, do you recall the first ever joke that you told?
1: Mm-hmm <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, mm, So I don't know if it was the very first thing I said on stage because I don't recall that I do have a tape, like a little mini tape of it somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, But I said one of the jokes in the set was um, I saw a commercial for razor blades and uh, it was a woman in her bikini riding through the like riding on a horse through the beach. But that doesn't make me want to buy razor blades. What would make me want to buy razor blades is if the girl was riding on a horse on the beach uh, no, wait, riding in her bikini on, a ho- on, on, on the beach on a bald horse. Because <laughs> I'm like, now that's a razor blade. Um, How did it go down? It went well, actually. That, that joke was a, a heavy hitter for a while. <laughs> I, I butchered it just now, but it was a good joke. Good joke to me back then.
4: That actually, that's actually it brings me to a question. I asked Liz the same question and I would like to ask that question to you. And again, tied into something like when you did, as you said, you've been working on Zoom, trying to get your, your you know, testing some jokes and bits out on people. Um, how do you sort of pick what is considered funny from feedback that people give you? So you test out a joke. To you, it might sound hilarious and it's great. When do you decide that it is a joke isn't funny? Based on the feedback that comes to you,
1: I give it three opportunities to do well because if, it's, if you try to joke out, just three. I think that's plenty. If you try to joke out, it gets nothing. You go, okay. Who knows? But if you really believe in it, because I know Liz, I know she like she'll like work and like adjust and like she's just um you know she's like a she's mad a scientist. Bonker. That's how I yeah, picture yeah, her. Exactly. Yeah. That's how I picture her. Just like, all right, maybe a little less salt, maybe a little more yeast, maybe this, that, you know and i'll be like um after three times it doesn't get a laugh i'll be like that joke is dead to me <laughs> so is- so
4: what happens so what happens if you do you do a joke once maybe it gets a snigger you do a joke second time it gets a bigger laugh and then you do a joke third time and it doesn't it doesn't land do you still oh, try you keep doing it I'm talking
1: dead silence three times that I do it because, you know, the first time you say a joke, you, you have all the energy of it, but you don't know the wording exactly. And so you have time to get, you have to have time to like give it an adjustment and like fix it and finagle and stuff. But I mean, if you try this joke out three times and it's just nothing, it's like, okay, well maybe there's nothing there. Maybe I'm crazy for thinking that's funny, but um, If I really believe in it, I'll figure it out and I'll workshop it with people. And I'll just say, why why aren't people laughing at this? And they'll be like, oh, because you seem racist here. And it's like, oh, okay, I get it. So you have to reword. But sometimes it's just not a funny joke. Um,
4: (laughs) So does that that mean, is there for you, and I, I know you sort of gave an example with Liz that she's a mad scientist or a baker trying to test out different things. Do you have a set formula for how you maybe construct a joke in, in, when, when you want to come up with something. Do you have a set formula of how you construct your jokes?
1: Not really. I, I just kind of say an idea and if it gets a titter, like then that's something, you know, and then the next time I say it, I might have the wording down a little bit more. And then uh, as I go on, I can cure in what I'm saying. So I can add more. Because if I try at, at, like at the first time I do it, um i'll get lost in and suddenly i don't know what i'm talking about so it's just like it just sort of starts as like kind of an idea that like people might laugh at but they want a little bit more from me and i'll be like i got you (laughs) but i'll keep doing it and then build and then shed what's not funny and then add in and then you know and it'll just kind of keep uh growing for years sometimes
4: you know that makes sense that makes sense you're listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 fm
0: i'm marcus e akko producer dave and i'd like to know how you feel about working with someone recording a podcast uh, when your partner is so so far away to be quite honest
1: i don't even really notice the distance i think like it just um other than like what's what's the covid culture there right now and she'll be like oh we're eating outside and like wow you know but other than that it feels like she's in the room half the time
0: i mean when, I, when I'm looking at it, you've got the different culture in, in America and the, the different culture here as well. I mean, does that not affect the way that you two come across or no?
1: I mean, I grew up in the States, so I don't know that I would... Um, I'm a totally different culture. All I can do is say what I've noticed over here. But um, between us, I'm not... I understand her because I, I basically... I mean, I grew up in Ohio, so it's not like I'm like, whoa, I... It's weird that you think that, because I think this, you know.
0: Is it Ohio one of those um, great states for good comedy?
1: Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not like I, I left, but <laughs> um, I think it is now. I think there's more opportunities for comedians in Ohio like to, to get stage time. But when I was coming up, there was only like, I think once or twice a week at most. So I moved to New York to get the more stage time. Cause I mean, you could get up three to five times a night if you really tried.
4: Yeah. And, you, with, and I want to jump off that one point, as in you said, you moved to New York to obviously get more stage time to sort of build in your career. If I were to ask uh, what sort of what give if giving you the opportunity to expand to be what you want to be as the pinnacle of your uh, comedian career, career, what would that be for you to say, yes, I have now I'm, I'm here. I'm exactly what I wanted to do this is me at the top of my game. What would that be?
1: Ooh, good question. Cause that always changes too. But I mean, I've always wanted to have my own show. So I started comedy. I, I didn't start comedy to get a sitcom, but like that was always kind of like the, the dream. And then as, as years go by and I'm going, I don't want a sitcom, but I would like a, like a dramedy type show, you know? And then, but I do, I think that that would be a better format. I mean, I think a more enjoyable form, format than just standing on stage telling jokes is um you know sharing my writing through tv <laughs> so um you know yeah, so, i know so- i know-
4: yeah. sorry I was, I was just i was just gonna say and it's, it's good that you kind of went with dramedy rather because that's kind of how tastes have changed right so in the early 50s early 60s you're right it's the comedy angle the uh, the uh, sitcom even even all the way to like the 90s and maybe early 2000s maybe 90s like um everybody loves raymond and so on and so forth they went into the sitcom aspect that's where they were going and then from 2000 coming forward you it was no longer sitcoms it was no, no laughter track it was just Comedic uh, things like uh, Malcolm in the Middle and so on and so forth. And then now, I, I keep I keep forgetting the name of the, yeah. the TV show, um, and I've forgotten her name. Uh, she's a comedian, an American comedian, but it's Better Things, I think, is the name. But she was on the Louis C.K. Um, on uh, Louis show, and then she now has her own show, which is kind of a dramedy. So, in Europe, if you were to go for it, you were to sit down and create your own show. It would be more along the lines of a dramedy rather than a comedy. Do you have a sort yeah, of a, I, an idea you'd want to work with?
1: Um, yeah, I had a, when I, when I moved here, I moved here for, um, for love and we were engaged, we broke up. And, um, and so I've been working on a, a, a show idea about that time in my life. I'm an actor too. I'd love to be in it too.
4: Anyway,
0: I, just, <laughs> uh, I, I will just, keep that
1: in mind when I have that power. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll
0: just drop that. I'll just drop that there.
1: You got it. You got to drop that there. I got <laughs> it. Of course. I, that's that.
4: Just to throw myself at various, uh, various people <laughs> and say, hey, you got a show? I'm going to be in it. It hasn't worked so far. But actually, no, it has. It, it's, I've, got, I've gotten one part with Bijang Tong, which is great. Um, but that's coming. awesome. Yeah. Yes.
1: Asking and asking and asking, and then eventually you get somewhere. Yeah. You
4: just, you've just, you just described my dating life at university, so that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: think you should Maria, use that as a joke, actually, to be quite honest, Maria.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: Maria, thank you very much for joining us on Shoot the Breeze uh, today. And like I said, whenever you want to come and uh, promote any of your your live shows, um, please let us know. We'd be happy to get you back on board.
1: That'd be great. Thank you so much.
4: You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. That was Maria Shahata talking to us about her comedy career in the UK. Uh, Now we'll move on to another segment of Spotlight where we have the ladies from the female film club Liza and Nicole, here is Spotlight Part 2. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Acho.
0: And I'm producer Dave.
4: And we are joined by two former guests at the show who came in and they, they blew our socks off um, with their ambition and their, and, and their determination to not let the uh, COVID and pandemic uh, stop them from getting together and creating a network for filmmakers, especially female filmmakers. They started the Female Film Club. Let me get them to introduce themselves. Please tell us your names and tell us how the Female Film Club is coming along.
2: Well, hi, thank you so much, first of all, for having us back. We always love chatting to you.
3: Um, I'm Liza. And I'm Nicole. We're both um, the co-founders of the Female Film Club. And yeah, thank you so much for having us. It's been such a pleasure last time and we're honored to be here again.
4: And thank you very much for joining, for coming back and joining us today, uh, because I know you guys have been really busy. I've been seeing a lot of the posts that are happening on Instagram. Some of the some of the posts include an article in Variety magazine about the work that you're Mm -hmm. doing. Uh, So that's. that's it. That's amazing. It's incredible that you guys have gone. You, you've you've carried on. Um, a lot of people have obviously sort of given up hope on so because of the pandemic, because of the lockdown, everything. But however, you have been. You are sources of inspiration to not only myself but to a lot of people who are using this as an opportunity to carry on with the work they're doing. So uh, Liza, let's jump to you first. You can Maybe you can help uh, explain what the Female Film Club is all about.
1: Yes,
2: so the Female Film Club is the online international membership for female and non-binary filmmakers. In our membership, we work on our skills, on our network and on our mindset. And we do that through regular events that we have on a weekly basis. And it's a whole platform in itself. So you can make your own profile, you can message each other. um, We uplift each other just through the platform in itself. And that's what we're all about.
4: And Nicole, uh, this is the last time we spoke, you were talking about a number of uh, projects that you were promoting. Uh, from female filmmakers that may not necessarily get to see the light of day or get the kind of attention that other blockbusters might be able to to, to hear about, can you give us a, a couple of those names and some of the projects just to be able to uh, remind our audience so they can go and seek out these filmmakers as well?
3: Of course, um, we have an amazing Q and A coming up with a brilliant Israeli filmmaker called Talia Levy who did the film Honeymoon, actually um, premiered in. Um, it was in Cannes, it was in the BFI Film Festival, so it did really well, but it wouldn't necessarily be a film that, actually it hasn't even hit the screens yet, so we're getting a preview before it even hits the cinema, so we're very lucky. Uh, we had recently a and a with um, Kieran B- batra as well, who's um, another brilliant director. So we're really not just focusing on, um, not just Q&As, but we really work on Mindset we develop skill, and we really work on the network. And we're so proud to say we have um, currently members from 27 different countries around the world. So it's really exciting. Uh, and the last some...
2: thing that we want, I'm so sorry, is that we have no, no. members with an extremely successful career, but they're miserable themselves. And since they're creatives, Everything flows into each other. It must be the same with you two. It's not just work or just life. Everything is together. So, therefore, we really aim to lift people up and our members from all aspects.
4: And that's a that's a, g- a great way of, uh, of looking at it as well. Just the fact that you mentioned a lot of people who are actually successful, they have high-flying careers, um, but... You- I guess the main, uh, the common denominator, the common variable for everyone has been the pandemic, the lockdown, the insecurity of not being able to go out and interact with other people. Uh, Because I remember before, prior to 2020, you could have film groups and networking sessions where people could go and mingle, get drunk, get to know each other and so on and so forth. But uh, that has stopped all of it. The fact that, you know, we don't even, uh, yes, we're in the UK, we're about to start, uh, you know, opening up. Pubs and and events for people to go out, but that, it's been a it's been a year, right? It's gone over a year now where people have been shut down and not been able to do that. So, but you you two have created the film female film club, which is extending across the internet, allowing people to be able to unite, come together and talking, it, it promotes, it, it actually makes the world a lot of a, a, a smaller place as well, because now they can reach out. I can, You can talk to one person who's in Israel. You mentioned the Israeli uh, uh, filmmakers. Uh, they, they can talk to German filmmakers. They can talk to African filmmakers had- because as is global, you can all come together. And you can all network together.
3: Exactly. We had an amazing film as well. Um, it was last week by um, the incredible Anna Rosha who premiered at Venice International Film Festival, and she did the film Listen. And it was a groundbreaking film that really has so much human rights in it. And we all learned about something that we had no idea about, really opened our minds. And the Q&A with her and meeting her was just incredible and inspirational. And she's also now a proud member in the club.
4: You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we are here with the founding members of the Female Film Club, uh, Liza and Nicole, talking to us about the success that they've had um, with the Female Film Club, which is uniting filmmakers, not just female film club, uh, fil- filmmakers, but as you mentioned, non-binary uh, filmmakers as well. So nobody really feels excluded from being part of this group. Now, before we go into some of the projects that you're working on, if someone wants to become part of the Female Film Club, what do they need to do?
2: They can simply go to www.femalefilmclub.com. You can sign up from there. If you're interested in getting to know us better, you can follow us on Instagram at female film club. And there's also our email. So you can get on the email list every Monday. We will send out the best things, what we know, our film recommendations, our resources sheet, just all the good bits. They're all on our um, email list
4: and and that's that's a great opportunity for people to connect and work especially in in the world of film speaking of film uh liza i know we'll, we'll talk about yourself and then we'll jump to nicole i know you've been working on a number of film projects you uh, a while ago you'd wrapped up you wrapped uh, a project with a friend of the show giles alderson that project was particularly was shot in the pandemic right during lockdown so you had to follow lockdown measures tell us what what was it like working not only with Giles what was it like working in that environment uh, and getting that project done
2: well i think first of all Giles is amazing and i'm super happy to have been a part of the project but i must say in the first two three days it's very strange you have your covert supervisor you're having a mask on 24 7 you wash your hands you get your temperature checked and it's really like what the hell sorry what is going on here and after a while i think day three you just get used to it and it's all fine and you have your tests done and your mask is just becomes normal it's weird if you don't have it on and you just make it work because your focus is not on oh my i have to put my mask on oh i need to get my temperature um check the focus is on the work. Like the film still needs to get done. There's still so many factors. I worked there in the AD department. So it was very, very busy, as you can imagine. It just worked really smooth. Also a big, big, big shout out to the Hardinan group, who is also a big supporter of the Female Film Club. Um, And their production company, Buffalo Dragon, is the one that produced it. And they did incredible work to make a film with such great creativity creatives in COVID times is just like I take my head off right they've been outstanding and they're already working on their another feature at the moment which they have in pre-production so they just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and I think that's such an inspiration for this whole industry because many production companies have been stopping have been thinking how do we do it and they just focus on solutions and they just get stuff done so yeah, it was it was just an honor to work with them and really inspirational to see how even when things are so constricted, they get it done and they get it done well.
4: Absolutely. Like I said, I started I said at the, top, at the start of this uh, segment, you guys have been an inspiration because it's it, that was I had a project I wanted to work on. But because of COVID, I just I was like, I don't know how this is going to happen. But then seeing you work uh, just gave me that sort of motivation to say, you know, what it can be done head out and get it done. So I'm pl- I'm resuming plans to do something later on at the end of this year. Uh, Nicole, how about yourself? How have you found uh, the lockdown and the pandemic with your own projects?
3: Um, so I've been working very strongly on distribution side of things. And um, HeartFlix is also a very strong supporter of the Female Film Club. And we collaborate on a regular basis. So it's been it's been okay actually because everything has gone VOD. <laughs> so um, there's been quite a lot of work to do around that, and it's been a real pleasure to be able to um, get distribution for so many of our members as well, and have their films um, be put on Hulflix next to um, a variety of like really big budget films and well known films. So it really gives them that extra push. It's not been the easiest time, but I have to say, it really. Um, pushed us even more. It's strange to say that the pandemic almost inspired us because we understood that there's something missing and there's something missing in our lives. And that's where the Female Film Club comes in. And I think at the moment, both me and Liza are just very invested in the club.
0: Is Herflix an integral part of the Female Film Club or is it two separate entities?
3: It's two separate entities, but we work with them on a regular basis.
0: I wanted to touch on her herflix as well
4: uh it, it's in the sense if i understand understand herflix herflix uh correctly it is kind of like you following the model of netflix where it's a it's a digital uh distribution site where where, where uh, filmmakers especially women and non-binary characters uh, can actually put their films on there and it's promoting that as opposed to like the big blood, uh, budget model etc etc
3: It's promoting the female gaze. So you also have a lot of films made by male directors, but coming from more of a feminine gaze, a female gaze, or like um, female lead characters. So you should check it out. There's some amazing films on Hairflix.
4: Back to you, Nicole, I wanted to drive on the point of distribution, because as you said, you're working on the distribution side of things. So with something like Hairflix, and also, as you mentioned, things going digital because of the lockdown and the pandemic, From the point of view of someone who's working in distribution, what is your opinion on on the next few years regarding films that need to be put in cinema? So for example, if a film producer is working on a project and obviously they know that it's going to be, it needs to be released, but i now have to contend with cinemas being closed because of the pandemic uh, because people won't go to the cinema to go and watch certain films so as such they'll only really go out to go and watch the big blockbusters like marvel for example a lot more people are going to want to go out and have an event type um, situation they want to go and see black widow or they want to go and see eternals etc but for something like a low budget uh, you know um, bedroom drama, for example, they may want to actually see that uh, at home rather than going to the cinema, taking their family to go and do that. So f- f- as someone who's in the uh, distribution uh, lane, what is your opinion on on how the, uh, the distribution of film is going to look over the next couple of years? What should people, producers, look forward to in that regards?
3: I think it's going to be a mix. I think what we've seen so far has just been very much VOD, obviously, because cinemas were closed. I think cinemas will be opening. I really urge everyone to go back to the cinemas, to watch films, to support the cinemas, because we do still want to see our favourite indie films being premiered and screened in the cinemas. So what I think will happen, and what I hope will happen in my ideal world, is that films will still screen in cinemas, they'll still have a premiere there, and they'll have maybe... Maybe that bedroom film you mentioned won't have, you know, that long of a screening, but it'll still have the possibility to be screened there. And then it will go online to VOD. So everyone can still watch it at home, whoever missed it in the cinema. And all these people that don't really want to go to cinemas anymore, because I think cinemas are kind of becoming like a workplace. I think what will happen with work? Will everyone go back to the office or will everyone work from home? And how are we going to do it? So I think we need to realise that life is changing and it has changed. So you will always have people that still want to go to their favorite cinemas and still want to have that experience. And then they'll still maybe watch some films at home. So it'll be a 50-50. And I think it's really important from the distribution side to still get online VOD distribution as well.
4: Thank you for that. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Acho. I'm producer Dave. And we're talking with uh, Liza and Nicole, who are the founders of the Female Film Club. Liza, um, it was something Nicole had mentioned about uh, promoting the female gaze in terms of perspective for films. What is the female gaze when you're talking about films?
2: Well, the female gaze has started from a voice that's very important in feminist film theory. Laura Mulvey was the first that wrote an essay on the male gaze. And that was actually when we kind of discovered oh, there is a male gaze and and what, what is that? Oh, we see everything through a male perspective and how do they feel? So then the opposite of that would be, what is the story of the women? What's the effect of situations in life on women? How do they experience the world? And that can be told also by some brilliant male directors. I'm not saying this can only be made by um, women, but that's where the female gaze comes from. Letting women tell their story letting them show how things are for them. Because how often, if you have a male lead character, the side characters are all there to bring the lead character forward. So they're maybe one, a bit more one-dimensional. And if you have a female lead character, she's becoming all having all these dimensions and drives. And that's why I think it's really important to have many lead female characters and also think how are women being portrayed in relation to... Other women to their mothers, to their fathers, to their children, and not just put a woman in a situation in relation to another man. Yeah, does that answer your question a bit about the female gaze?
4: It, it does, and it it kind of clarifies. It does kind of steer me in a direction uh, where uh, I wanted to ask. And Nicole, maybe you can help me with this one. Um, I, I may I may have gotten this term wrong. Is it the Bechtel test where one of the main rules in the Bechtel test is: do, Does your film have Two, female, two named female characters in a scene where they're talking about something else other than men or their relationship to men. Okay. Uh, it, it, does that sort of fall under the female gaze, uh, in your opinion? And if it does, how do you recommend that gets sort of structured or restructured by other filmmakers who want to ensure that they are accurately representing the female gaze in their movies? And uh, Nicole, okay. I'll throw that question to you.
3: Yeah, it does fall under um, the female gaze. I think it's what Liza said as well. We all love a good love story, but there's more to us than just um, talking about men and and love. There's so many. And there's also to look at in the context of a female characters. I mean, there's so much that in life that women go through and we're not perfect. Like men are not perfect. Women are not perfect. And I think it's really interesting when films look at all these um I wouldn't even say flawed because what is flawed and what is perfect, but we just want to look at it from a real context and, um, and really see the character for what they are. And I think the problem is in cinema is the reason so many women are actually scared to go for it sometimes, or these films don't really get seen as much as these Marvel films you speak about, is because they think there's no commercial context in these movies. But that is wrong because so many women out there want to see these films because we relate to them, these stories have a place in the market and you can sell them as well because people do want to see them and also men want to see them it's like you don't always want to see the typical stereotypical kind of female character that there's so many imperfections about us and I think it's fine that it's told in film.
2: Just to add on to that I think there's not a one-piece framework as this is how you create the female gaze because that's also what we really want to show with the uh, female film club, we have such a big variety of female directors and they're all different and their films are all different. And sometimes I think, "Oh, this is a story. This has to be told by a woman or no, this has to be told by a man. Like, no, all men are different. All women are different. We can all tell so many different stories. They can tell brilliant action films, br- brilliant horror films, brilliant love films, but also, the way, if you look at um, Regina King, One Night in Miami, fantastic film with all male characters, but how does she put these characters down? So many layers, so vulnerable that you think, yes. And we see that also by a brilliant Swedish director who was nominated for 18 Swedish Oscars. And we didn't even know there were Swedish Oscars. Um, but she had this film, um, a few films actually, but one was Simon and the Oaks, which is also has all male characters pretty, being portrayed in such a wonderful soft open character and this is also how women see men we don't see all men like strong powerful we all see different sides and it's so beautiful for women also to portray that and I think that's also a part that you can say it's a bit of the female gaze not only portraying women and telling a female story but also just how do we see the world how do we see characters in general because men are just as important as women we're not trying to make an imbalance there we also want male stories to be told but they can also be told in a different way
4: Liza and Nicole thank you very much for coming on the show every time you come on I always learn something new and I like to uh, I I want to keep having you guys come on the show more and more to talk to me more because I have tons of questions but I know that you two are extremely busy but absolutely please whenever you want to please let us know and you come back on the show we can talk more
3: We will do, we just want to say a quick word. We have this um, FFC worldwide campaign going out at the moment. So we are giving um, one year free membership to a country that has not yet been represented in the FFC. So we're really going worldwide. So if anyone is listening to the show and they know filmmakers from anywhere in the world, Africa, South America, like any continent, any country, please direct them to us, get them to send us an email with their CV, the IMDb link, as long as they've completed a short film or feature film, and they've done a festival circuit, then they're applicable to um, become a member in the Female Film Club. And we'd love I, to hear from them.
4: I, I, and I wanted to say, how how do you, how can people get a hold of you? I know the website address and your, uh, your social media hooks.
2: Yes, absolutely. You can email us at info at femalefilmclub.com. Or you can just follow us on Instagram, send us a message there, and we will reply to you because we have now 26 countries in the club, but there are 195 countries out there. And when we say we want to represent and amplify every voice, we mean every voice from every single country.
4: So those filmmakers from Guam, make sure you start sending your emails right now. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Ladies, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank
3: you for having us.
4: You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. And I'm producer Dave.
0: Saying thank you all very much for listening. Speak to you all again next week. Goodbye. Bye.